Good morning to you on this solemn day in American history. It was 21 years ago today at 8.14 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 was hijacked, and it began a day that no one who ever lived through it will forget. Uh, broadcasters broke in to announce the North Tower of the World Trade Center. It was on fire, and originally it was thought to be an accidental plane crash, but as we know, on such a clear day, that was doubtful, and we now know it was a hijacked plane, Flight 11, at 8.46 a.m. Almost 20 minutes later, 9.03 a.m., the South Tower was hit by Flight 175, and all doubt was removed. America was being attacked. It was 21 years ago. 21 years ago. Our oldest daughter was just an infant, and uh, Missy and I had just stayed at the World Trade Center's Marriott for a conference earlier in the year. And many of us remember the FAA as they were grounding every single flight in the nation immediately. We remember a play-by-play as 20 were left in the air to land, and then 15, and then 10. And we remember fighter jets being scrambled to the sky should they need to shoot down a hijacked jet. We remember. We, uh, we watched the towers fall. Uh, Third plane, Flight 77, hit the Pentagon at 9.37 a.m., and a fourth flight came down, crashing heroically into a field as a result of a courageous young man's words, let's roll. So much to uh, take in to recall from that day, yes? Yeah. The shock in all of it is still fresh in my mind 21 years later, I believe 9-11 was a a wake-up call. One pastor said it this way, 9-11 was a call for national humbling, a wake-up call. God was shaking the foundations of America and calling sinners to come to Christ. A global call, not just for Americans, but also for Palestinians, Saudis, and Afghans. And I think he was right. It was a call, as all tragedies are, to look to God to look to God, that we would humbly look at our own sin and at our own disregard and at our own indifference for God and hope in Him, trust in Him, praise Him. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We will praise the name of the Lord our God. You know, in uh, Luke 13, if you would turn there, please, Luke 13, we learn of two tragedies and a call to be humbled to. In Luke 13, Luke 13, two tragedies are mentioned, one dealing with the Galileans. There were some Galileans who had done something of a, a sort of a rebellious nature against Rome, and they were being tracked down into Jerusalem And they were tracked down into a temple where they were found offering sacrifices. And Pilate's soldiers entered in and killed them in a gory, gruesome way. Luke 13 describes their blood as being mingled with the blood of the sacrifices in the temple itself. That's what it says here in verse 1, chapter 13. Now on the same occasion, this is Passover, 
there were some present who reported to him, him being Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. The second tragedy mentioned involves a tower that was being built on a canal, and the Romans often did this in order to observe and protect the flow of the water, and something gave way. Either the workers or the people watching or those walking by were crushed. They were all crushed and died. In verse 4, Jesus makes reference to the event. He says, Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? So we have two terrible tragedies that bring about a single question in which, interestingly, Jesus responds to. Let me just read these five verses. Beginning in verse 1 here. Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. When tragedy strikes, the question we often ask is, is this the judgment of God? Is 9-11 the judgment of God? Are the wildfires out west, are they the judgment of God? The hurricanes, the tornadoes, even monkeypox, is this a judgment of God? But Jesus says what we should be doing is not asking this question, but answering a different question. Are you, pre- are you prepared should tragedy befall you? Are you prepared? And he says, better repent. So it's a call to be humbled. But what about those Galileans? Were they greater sinners? No. Repent, or you likewise will perish. What about those in Siloam? Were they greater sinners? No. Repent, or you will likewise perish. What about those in the plains and in the towers on 9-11? I tell you, no. Repent. You see, it's all a test of our spirituality. Are you living your life with an awareness or without an awareness of God. We live out our view of God every single day. And if you have a high view of God, that should produce in you a high standard of living. Tell me what you believe about God, and I will tell you the direction that your life is going to go. Tell me that you have a low view of God, low thoughts, and you will also have to admit that your living is low. One of the truest evidences of where we are spiritually is whether or not we are praising God. And it's, it's easy to praise God in the good times, but the real spiritual test, the, the call of humility, the test of spirituality is this. Can we praise him in the difficult times? Can we praise him when times are tough? That's because a growing Christian, one who is growing in the grace and knowledge of our, our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, is always a worshiping Christian. A growing Christian is a worshiping Christian, a uh, praising Christian. 
Much like our singing this morning, a sacrifice of praise, it ascends from our hearts, it goes through our mouths, and it goes to God above. As we make our way to our key text this morning, that being Psalm 146, if you'd turn there, please. As we make our way to Psalm 146 here on the morning of 9-11, I pray that this psalm, this psalm will grab hold of your heart and mind, and it won't let go. That it won't let go. Please turn to Psalm 146. As a mature believer in Christ, the aim of this psalm is to get your attention once again. Because a maturing believer is a praising believer. That regardless, regardless of where you might, what you might have on your plate today, this, this psalm is of greater priority than the latest work that you're thinking about today for the week ahead. Maybe family concerns. Maybe there's health-related issues that you're wrestling with. No matter the news or really the to-dos, that are there, it is a call to be humbled once again, to be humbled once again. And if you don't know Christ, my hope is that this psalm could, that it should, that it, it would here have an impact prayerfully, that it would settle once and for all the same question asked by Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready? Remember his warning that we just read. The Lord basically said, look, if you don't repent... A kind of repentance that, that embraces full trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can rescue you from your sins. You will likewise perish, literally to be lost. And he's not talking about physical death here. He's saying you will end up at God's court sentenced to eternal judgment because salvation is of the Lord. Jesus says, how do you understand calamities? Is it just the bad people that get killed? No. No, it could be anybody. It could be you. And the lesson is you better repent or when it does come, you're going to perish. And it will come and maybe in a calamity, maybe a tragedy. If you have not named him your savior and Lord, today is the day. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. It's a vapor, right? It's gone. The ultimate salvation that any human being can ever experience is to be rescued from the wrath that is to come, to be rescued from God. So Psalm 146 is a great test for us this morning. One of the truest evidences of where we are spiritually right now, right now, whether we are on fire or lukewarm, either your meter is on full or it's on empty, but it is a test. And Psalm 146's primary focus is on praising God. It's also the primary focus of the last five psalms in the Psalter. They form a, a kind of unit of praise, Psalms 146 to 150, and they're known as the double hallelujah psalms, double hallelujah psalms, because they each begin and end with the declaration, praise the Lord. I want you to see this just real quick here. You look here beginning in verse 1 of 146, you see praise the Lord. Look at verse 10. And you'll see it ends with the same thing, praise the Lord. Psalm 147, verse 1, praise the Lord. Verse 20, end of verse 20, praise the Lord. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. End of Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. End verse 9 of, of Psalm 149, praise the Lord. And Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 
And that's what we want, what we want to do this morning. We want to praise the Lord. So let's take a moment here. Let's read through our text for today. Psalm 146 here, 10 verses, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. He thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations Praise the Lord. What an encouragement, an exhortation to, to praise the Lord in our lives. Yes? Amen? And the desire of our heart when, when reading this, it should be that we want it to be enlarged more for God. To be more eager for God. More enthused for God. To be more excited for God. Maybe you're like me. You need to be caught up in this wave of praising God that will come from this psalm this morning, that in every circumstance and situation in your life, you need to be saying, we need to be saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 146 in greater detail here. You know what we do at Grace Life, verse by verse, and there's only 10 in this one, as I've said. And there are several headings that I've outlined here, I, I want you to take note of, as you can see in your bulletins, there are three ways that the psalmist is resolved to praise God. Three ways the psalmist is resolved to praise God. As we stand really in the sandals of the psalmist, we see that first here, he makes a personal declaration. A personal declaration. This needs to be my personal declaration. This needs to be your personal declaration. Listen again to verses 1 and 2. I'm actually glad it's raining because I'm going to get loud anyways. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. You see what I see here? This begins with a shout. Praise the Lord. Right? It's not half-hearted. It's not listless lukewarm kind of expression, praise the Lord. He is proclaiming this for all to hear, praise the Lord. I don't care about the situation, praise the Lord. I'm not concerned who might hear, praise the Lord. And I want my Lord to know my heart, praise the Lord. It's a declaration. I am declaring that I am praising him, which also makes it personal. Praise the Lord, Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. The psalmist is, is talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? Some of you are like, no, I don't do that. Sorry to say, one of your pastors does. I do. 
and I call myself Michaels. If you call me Michaels, I'm not going to turn, you're not going to get my attention. But often I will, Michaels, do this. Michaels, you should be doing that. And he's talking to himself here. We see the same thing. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's resolved to praising the Lord with all his heart, with his mind, his soul, and his strength. It's much like Jonathan Edwards and those 70 resolutions. You know, if you could put them in a pot and boil them all down into just one, you know, one, one resolution that it would cover all of them, it would be that, right? An invitation to praise the Lord. If you're taking notes, an invitation to praise the Lord. In fact, I would go so far as to say that he's commanding others to do so. Praise the Lord. This is not something for your suggestion box. It's not an ask. If you know the Lord, then you should be praising him. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. How is your singing this Sunday? Is it like that? Singing blessing and honor, glory, and power forever to our God? What words? Praise the Lord. But not just Sunday, and certainly not just a style of music here. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Praising the Lord is to be a lifestyle. It's, it's I will, I will, 24-7. We may be gathered right now, but we are to be praising the Lord when we are scattered too. While I have my breath, while I have my being, I will sing praises to my God. So pick a problem. Work, family, health, life. Fill in the blank, right? What are you worrying about right now in your life? Right now. Praise him. Have a God-centered perspective. This is your test. It's an invitation for you to praise the Lord. One more insight with this one here. Again, we see resolve and determination with these I wills. I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God. But do you know who also had resolve and determination? Let's take a peek at Isaiah 14. You turn to Isaiah 14 for a moment. Someone else made a personal declaration using the I wills. In this instance, it was Lucifer. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Here's what Lucifer's personal declaration, it's called the five I wills. This passage here is known as the five I wills, which you'll see in a moment. Here's what it looks like. So this angel, this is the number one worship angel declared with his heart, verse 13, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five I wills of self-exaltation. Here was a being created for worship. He's the head, was the head angel of worship, the highest of the highest. 
cherub. And he had his own personal declaration, one filled with pride instead of praise. What will your declaration be? Back to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. So he makes the psalmist a personal declaration. It's an invitation to praise the Lord. And then second here, he makes a proper distinction, a proper distinction, because it's a warning against trusting man. He makes a proper distinction, a warning against trusting man. Verses 3 and 4, back in Psalm 146 here. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Do not trust in princes. Why? Princes can't save. That is why you can't trust them. They die. And so do their plans with them. Their death marks the death of their plans for personal greatness. So friends, be very careful here. Position and power have an attractive force to it. I would argue sometimes it's stronger than mammon, stronger than uh, money at times. We're to continue to pray for those over, over, who have authority over us. But we need to recognize that that position and that power has an attractive force to it. And the point of the psalmist whoever he is, is that princes, good or bad, even queens, die. Even at their best, they go out of office. Death defeats power. The necessary power for rescue is not in us. It must come from God. And so look at the end of verse 4. One word there, NASB. Perish. To expire. To come to an end. So then who will you trust? Then what will you do? It's a caution. It's a a warning and it's an important one. Put not your trust in princes. Whatever your circumstance, to, to put your eyes, your hope, your trust in an individual because they seemingly have power, that's a dangerous move. That is because we cannot praise God and trust man at the same time. If, if I trust in a man or woman, in effect, it removes the praise I have in my heart for God. Now, this is not necessarily a politically aimed verse, but I do think it applies. I do think it applies. It's much the same of asking the question in our heart, who coming into political power would make everything better? I mean, really, that's, that's really what we're talking about to some extent here. Where am I placing my trust? This idol seems to be gaining steam as of late. We complain and we think, Oh, if this individual were in office, right? We need to be careful of that. Please answer me this. Is there any heavenly gain to be made by investing all our hopes in political power? I had mentioned uh, Edwards earlier. He once wrote that death serves all alike. Death serves all alike. Princes cannot save. They are but mortal creatures, even the mightiest of them. And they need God just like all all the other saints. They can't help themselves, much less others. Trusting in princes cannot coexist in the heart of the one that praises God. Uh, A renowned counselor who's no longer with us, David Powelson, said it this way in an article entitled X-Ray Questions. He wrote, what are your idols or false gods? In what do you place your trust or set your hopes? What do you turn to or seek? 
Where do you take refuge? Who is the Savior, judge, controller, provider, protector in your world? Who do you serve? What voice controls you? It's something to think about for sure. I mean, mortal men and, and women are not really in charge. It may appear that they're in control in some way, but they're not. They're not. Praise the Lord and do not trust in princes. Pray for them, yes. Even honor them, yes. But do not take it any further than that because if you do, when I do, when you do, it's misplaced trust. I mean, seriously, why would we ever trust in someone who is dying this very moment and is going to be placed in a grave? Why would we do that? By the way, many of you uh, have printed Bibles, have your hard copy. Some of you have digital Bibles. But in your printed Bibles, it's interesting to note that this verse, for those who like trivia, it's in the middle of the entire English Bible. It falls right smack in the middle of your English Bible. And by the way, I think there's zero significance in that. But I had to share it. Okay, I want you to see third, third here. The psalmist is resolved to praise God in that he finds profound delight. He finds profound delight. This, there is a, a pleasure found in this kind of praise. Verse 5, how blessed, literally Oh, how happy is the one, is he whose help is the God of Jacob. He's talking about the God, you know, the one who's been faithful all the way back to the patriarchs. The God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. End of verse 5 there. You see, the person who praises the Lord will also trust him in all of life. It's the um, turning away of one's trust from what is unworthy in verse 3, and back to the God worthy of praise, the only one worthy of praise. The way of happiness. It's the way of blessed life. It is to recognize where your help will truly come from. How blessed is the person who gets this truth? The Lord is where salvation comes from, and we should hope in Him. It's like what we read in Acts 4.12, you don't need to turn there, but Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. All the way in Acts 4, it is the God of Jacob reminding them of God's trustworthiness. The Lord is, is uh, trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. And trusting is believing in the promises of God in all circumstances with profound delight. And that's what the psalmist here is resolved in praising God, is that he finds profound delight. Now, after having mentioned God's name, for the reminder of this psalm, the psalmist then lists 12 reasons, 12 attributes, 12 actions here that demonstrate why we should praise him. Verses 6 to 10 are full of reasons to praise him. Full of reasons to praise him. And here we will see reasons to praise the Lord that stack one upon another with the intent of stirring within your soul the desire to be praising the Lord. And if you've experienced a, a time in your life, perhaps it's now, where the desire to praise him is lukewarm or it's even lacking in some way, all we need to do is to think on this list. 
is to think on these things, to focus on the Lord in his word and, and focus on his, his greatness, his glory, and praise will soon return to your soul. Now, you'll see in your bulletins uh, reasons 1 and 2 and 11 and 12. That is because the first two and the last two in this section, they demonstrate why we should be praising him. And the first one here, verse 6, tells us that he made everything. He made everything. He made everything. It begins with God's act in creation. Again, reasons that we can praise God who made heaven and earth, verse 6, the sea and all that is in them. He's the creator and he's worthy of our praise. Have you seen any of the uh, gorgeous telescope pictures that are coming back from the James Webb telescope? I mean, I... I'm kind of a little stickler with this, and I, I'm an 80s kid, but I don't use the word awesome unless it relates to God. Awesome. Like, have you seen any of them? When we get further down the road in our apologetics class, we're going to look in detail at some of them. But they are amazing. Jupiter? Have you seen some of the photos of Jupiter? These digital shots, you can just keep zooming and zooming and zooming in. Planetary nebulas, hazes, systems well beyond our own that we can look at. I don't know how you can see something like that and not be a Romans 1.20 literalist. Which reads, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes that, attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. We are living, we are eating and, and breathing and now seeing so much of what God has created. Why wouldn't we praise the one who has made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them? Here's another from Acts 4, verse 24. After the apostle Peter was imprisoned, you know this, and then he's released. And this is how they begin their prayer. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, now in the NIV, that's sovereign Lord. In the King James, it says, Lord, thou art. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Praise the Lord. Second here, last part of verse six, who keeps faith forever. He is faithful. He is faithful. It says, who keeps faith forever in the NASB. The New King James says, who keeps faith truth forever. The NIV says he remains faithful forever. Well, which is it? Many scholars, they're perplexed, but the meaning is really the same. He is faithful. He is faithful. I like the NASB's rendering here, who keeps faith forever. Forever. The creator God created our faith and gave it to us as, as saving faith. Yes? And, and we will keep that faith, and it will never, ever fall away. It will last, I like to say, forever and a day. There's no end. It will never come to an end. Praise the Lord. Reason number one to praise him. He made everything. Reason number two to praise him. He is faithful. Jumping now to reason number 11. He will judge the wicked. He will judge the wicked. 11 here. This is found in verse 9. Remember, these are bookends demonstrating why we should praise him. Verse 9, 
It says, he thwarts the way of the wicked. Now, you and I know well the depravity of man, and we see it daily in ourselves, and we find it amplified in horrible headlines each day. Well, guess what? God will deal with these wicked men and women. Vengeance is the Lord's, and so is praise. It's all his. There will be a day when the Lord will deal with injustice. There will be a day when the Lord will deal with the wrongs, with the unspeakable crimes, with the evils. Knowing this, be reminded of this. There's another reason to praise him. It's another reason to praise him, to praise the Lord. He will judge the wicked. Number 12 here, reason number 12 to praise him, he will rule forever. He will rule forever. Verse 10 says, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all the generations. His just reign will never end, forever and a day, right? Unlike the the princes in verse 3 and unlike anything we've ever known, our God's reign is not going to end after a thousand years. God's reign will not end after any measurement of years. You have to look past that if it's even possible to to comprehend this in some way. Post-time, right? God's reign will be an eternal reign. It's one without end. So how comforting it is to know that the, the one we trust will always reign. Praise the Lord. Now, what remains for us to examine, are you still with me? What remains is found in verses 7, 8, and 9. These are eight more reasons to praise him. And they all deal with the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Verses 7 through 9 speak to how how God will care for his people, especially those who are weak. And in each of these verses, there are three descriptive elements. Three in each verse of what God is doing. How God exercises his faithfulness. Now, taking a step back and looking at that, that means there are eight verbs that are there, especially in the Hebrew. So that's how we get the list of eight here. They're really participles that that express a, a continual action. Some are physical, some are spiritual in nature, but all are dealing with the goodness of God. And again, this is tied into why we should be praising God. Praise the Lord. Number three here, the oppressed, God treats with justice. The oppressed, God treats with justice. It reads, who executes justice for the oppressed. God often does in this lifetime and ultimately will execute his justice upon those who oppress others with their power. God will overrule those rulers When they administer injustice, God's going to administer justice to them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Number four here in verse seven, we see that God gives food to the hungry. The hungry he feeds. The hungry he feeds. It says he gives food to the hungry. Now we have to be careful with this. There are general observations that the psalmist is recording here that we're reading. They're not specific instances. It is true that people have and and others will die of starvation in this falling world. You know, some like to use this as proving the Bible has has errors in some way. 
It's absolute nonsense. Others like to tie these all together as one unfolding story regarding the princes. That's certainly possible. But God does regularly and and continually supply our food. And I'm grateful to him for it. I mean, it's part of the reason we say grace before eating. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The oppressed God treats with justice. The hungry he feeds. And fifth here... The prisoner he frees. The prisoner he frees. End of verse 7. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Again, God mercifully reaches out to those in need. Often physically again, but always spiritually, praise the Lord. The Lord sets the prisoners free. Same with 6 here. The eyes of the blind he opens. The eyes of the blind, he opens. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. In Scripture, we've seen both occur, right? I mean, physically, the Lord Jesus has given sight to the blind. And spiritually, the Spirit of God has done much the same to our soul. But regardless, the point's the same. God intervenes. He's helping those who suffer for our good and ultimately for his glory. And once again, praise the Lord. We praise the Lord. And the psalmist continues here. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. That's number seven. The humble he exalts. The humble he exalts. This is what Peter said in his first epistle. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he will, I'm sorry, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you greatly. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The humble he exalts. I have seen this played out wisely and unwisely at times in life and ministry. And I suspect many of you have as well. When, when we or someone we know is tempted to, to pridefully react to a situation, instead of being humbled by it, it's so easy to misstep It's only by the grace of God in those moments that he has been faithful to see us through. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Three more. Number eight here. The righteous he loves. The righteous he loves. This is our prayer list, right? We're praying. This is how we can be praying to God. We can can recite these and, and, and praise him for them. The righteous he loves. Psalm 146 seeks to remind us that the Lord loves the righteous. You know why this is true? Because he made them righteous. That's why it's true. They're like him. They, they love him. Their purposes are one with his own. And so it's quite obvious that the righteous he loves. There's that close connect with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Also number nine here. The stranger he watches over. The stranger he watches over. The Lord protects strangers, verse 9. Those who do not belong to this world, we would say, we're pilgrims, we're true strangers. Indeed, we're, we're aliens, right? But we're his people, and, and God is watching over them, whether they be those who are redeemed Gentiles or among God's covenant people, Israel, whether you're inside the tribe, outside the tribe, they may be estranged from relationships that take place here on earth, but never from God. 
not from God, the stranger he watches over. You know, as you go through your Old Testament in any kind of daily Bible reading, you, you note that. You start seeing instance after instance where God cares for. He's watching over the stranger. And we praise the Lord for that. And then notice number 10 here about the fatherless and the widow he upholds. The fatherless and the widow he upholds. It says he supports the fatherless and the widow. He supports the fatherless and he supports the widow. God's standing in the gap. You know what I mean? I mean, God is a father to the fatherless. This can get personal quick. If there are relationship issues in in your family, especially dealing with a father, God is a father to the fatherless. This can apply in many ways. And the same for the widow. God is there. He has not left you. He is there. It says the fatherless and the widow. He upholds. He upholds. He strengthens. He cares for. He watches over. God is there. Praise the Lord. You see what the psalm is doing? When you realize this, it it inspires praise. It causes us to want to refocus. It should. To recalibrate. To stop and go, okay, not just my prayer life, but my prayer life first here. How's my prayer life? Am I using my time wisely? Is it a long laundry list of prayer requests? Or is it praise? Am I taking time to praise the Lord? And then 24-7, as we spoke on earlier. I mean, am I living out loud for the Lord? Can I, regardless of what I'm going through, regardless of how I feel, can I praise the Lord? And I don't mean like a, a callous, praise the Lord. How are you doing today? Praising the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. It starts in here, right? It starts in here. And it's a recognition, it's being in God's word and recognizing the goodness of God in all these ways to praise the Lord. One last look at uh, Psalm 146 this morning. Verse 2 again, and the words here, to my God. Oh, I love that. Circle my if you mark your Bible, to my God. Some of you going, mark your Bible. It says something special about the psalmist's relationship to Yahweh, doesn't it? Through the cross of Christ for us. I will sing praises to my God. He's my God. It's personal. That's my God I am praising. You want to hear about my God? My God. The way he has touched my life in so many of these areas. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to take for granted that. To my God, I will sing praises to my God. Can you make that same personal declaration to praise him? Do you see the proper distinction that in every way he is trustworthy? 
in, in every possible way? And have you counted the many reasons that you can do so? And here there are just 12 that should produce a profound delight in him. You know, again, if, if, and, and, and many of us are. We go through seasons of this. If you're, if you're not feeling well, you're struggling with something, this is for you. Praise the Lord. Praise his goodness. Look at these attributes. Review these attributes. Hold them close. And you will begin to have a profound delight in him. No wonder in verse 10, it ends with the same phrase that it all started with. A double hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here this morning to praise you. We praise you and we thank you for the great God that you are. As we've looked at this psalm this morning, I, I pray, we pray that there is growth in our understanding of who you are, that as believers, we would continue to know more about you, continue to grow in our understanding of you, continue to to show ourselves approved as your workmen, as ambassadors for you. Oh, may our, our hearts be enlarged with a greater sense of praise for you. And our circumstances, no matter how bright, no matter how dark, may they only cause within us to praise you all the more. It's all about you. We don't trust in princes. We don't choose to trust in other individuals, but seek instead to praise you and you alone, our help and our hope. As Rick read for us earlier, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.